Just a quick word before we get to today's episode. I have been looking forward to this interview for quite some time. I just want to remind everyone that the guests I have on this podcast are sharing their stories. The stories belong to them. They walked through them and they are willing to share them with us to offer other people hope. And I, for one, appreciate that so much. So please know that I am aware that people have different opinions about addiction. Some say it's a choice. Some say it's a disease. Either way, I think we can all agree that it's really sad and we want to see people get to the other side of it. So I ask that you listen today with an open heart and open mind, and I hope that you will be as proud and as excited for this guest as I am. I also want to add, there may be some language used in this particular episode that is out of the norm, but again, it is his story. I don't want to change that. I will, however, thank God for preserving his life and for letting him use his voice to help others. So, enjoy. Welcome to Come Talk With Me. I'm Maxetta Gad, and I believe we all have a story. I also believe we can learn from each other. Sometimes we learn what to do, and sometimes we learn what not to do. My hope is we will learn we are not alone in whatever chapter of our story we are in. So welcome everybody to come talk with me. We have a super special guest today. His name is Preston Lee. He's also known as PJ. He grew up right here in Webster County. He graduated from Webster County High School in 1994. And I know what year he graduated because I graduated with him. (laughs) <laughs> and um, Preston's a um, we actually went to junior high or junior year prom together and oh. he has graciously agreed to share his story um, with us and his story does include um, falling into alcohol and drug addiction and some things come along with that and then treatment and now he's about three and a half years into recovery and helping others in recovery so hey Preston thanks for joining me hey you're very welcome to have you here I'm glad to be here yes listen tell me for sure though did I mess up are you three and a half years sober yes okay awesome that's wonderful so we grew up right here in little old Webster County. You went to Glade though, right? And I went to Webster. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> and then in high school, we all came together. So um, yeah. for, for those of you that don't know the area, it is small. There are kind of limited things for kids to get involved with. Mostly here is sports and like SUVs, uh, four-wheelers, that kind of thing. ATVs, excuse me, that keep us busy. But would you say when you were younger that the lack of activities, and I don't know the answer to this question, was that a factor or did that contribute in any of your alcohol or drug use? 
I mean, I think it potentially could have. Uh, I mean, there were there were definitely activities. You know, my my family was yes. uh, really big into hunting and fishing. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, I had a, a up that I rode a lot. Uh, I was involved with sports. Yeah, uh, for as long for as long as I can remember. You know, yeah. up until <laughs> up until the end of high school. Yeah, uh, I was involved with sports in in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um. And there were, but started with that question because I hear that so much. There's just nothing for the kids to do. Of course, they're going to turn to drugs and alcohol. But as you shared, you did things to do. Still, addiction. Help me with the right term there. I keep saying fell into addiction. Is that okay to call it that, or what do you prefer? Yes. Is that okay? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. So tell me a little bit. Because it is, you know, it is the, the the disease of addiction. Yeah, and you don't set out intending to do it. That's what makes me think of like a fall. When you fall no. in a hole, you don't know the hole's there. You fall into it. So right. Um, so tell me when everything started with you, if you can, please. Like with the substance use, or you know, you you start your story where you feel comfortable and lead us into that, if that's okay. Okay. So, like I briefly mentioned, I was like uh, uh, the way I usually put this is I was like a, a normal like all American kid growing up, I played sports. Uh, I did well in school uh, without really putting much effort into school. Uh, I just, I don't know. I just had the natural. Listen, you, and one thing I'm going to say right here, you, uh, you probably still are, but you were exceptionally good in math. Yeah. (laughs) Like with numbers, you were very good in school. That's true. Okay. Go ahead. That's from someone that was. I was just, I was just kind of naturally intelligent for one reason or another. So I didn't have to put a lot of effort into school, but uh, up until probably middle school, you know, around the time I was 13, things were pretty, pretty normal. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I I grew up in a family that wasn't like they weren't abusive or, you know, we, we had our issues and fights and and things that normal families do. There was, there was no, there was no abuse or anything that, that really happened in, right. you know, not in my immediate family mm-hmm. with myself and my siblings, mm-hmm. you know, other than siblings uh, <laughs> fighting one another. I, but Blink stuff. I totally get that. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I grew up. Household. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I grew up hunting, fishing, playing sports, all the little normal things up until I was around 13 uh, when I when I tried alcohol for the first time. And subsequently after that, tried marijuana for the first time. Uh, And it it did all start out innocently. You know, it started out as a a way to connect with with other people that I wasn't close to. And it was Uh, fun and probably everybody was doing it. Does that. Is that accurate to say? Like a social lubricant, you know, because I always felt a little awkward and weird. Uh, I didn't have, didn't really have any trouble making friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I still felt like I needed more friends. Uh, but that's, that's part of the, the disease of addiction that we'll, I'll get into in a little bit. Uh, you know, it started out innocently. And, and by the time I had made it to high school, uh, you know, it was starting to happen more and more often. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was happening. 
uh, you know, started out on like Friday, Saturday nights, like after football games, uh, everybody would go drink and, and smoke or whatever they were doing, uh, you know, and then the same thing on Saturday night. And then, you know, on, on Sunday, come home, and chill at mom and dad's house and get something to eat and rest and rehydrate and get ready for school Monday. Did that uh, become your norm, like doing that every weekend? Yeah. Yeah, after a while, it was just it was just a normal thing to do, mm-hmm. you know, because that all started like my freshman year in high school. Uh, it had been happening intermittently, you know, like seventh, eighth grade. Yeah. But, you know, once I got to high school, that that uh, that really started happening more frequently. Yeah. Uh, up until probably it went on like that up until probably my probably my senior year is when it when it started getting uh, a little worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and we will be sneaking off during school at lunch and, and smoking marijuana or having some drinks. Uh, you know, I remember having uh, like mixed drinks in a bottle that wasn't an alcohol bottle in my locker at school. Hmm. Yeah, I'm so glad that you're sharing this, um, Preston. And the reason like, I jumped right in with kind of a, a question at the beginning, I really hope that people hear this and hear that addiction does not discriminate. You were an athlete, very good grades. You had friends who didn't have like necessarily an abusive um, home life, though like like all of issues made with siblings. But I really want people to hear that it started out innocently. You know, it was a, a party at Woodbine or a, a party at Ross or for the right. Down- back fork or you know <laughs> down or bacon but it yeah. started out innocently and you were a person that was involved with all the activities that were to offer you had friends but you still were dealing with the thought you didn't have enough friends or that you weren't enough for them to like and stick around if you weren't participating in these activities so I really just yeah absolutely you- yeah, I want people to hear that. And I love that phrase. It started out innocently. You did not start out thinking, oh, well, I'm eventually going to become a full addict. And, you know, you'll walk us through what happened there. So just parents really that are listening, hear what he is saying. Like, it started out innocently. Okay, so you go yeah. ahead. So you're a senior in high school and you're starting to make weekend party normal activity. You have some alcohol at school now and you're starting to smoke weed maybe on a regular basis as for Excuse me. Yeah. During well, I mean, sometimes sometimes we would cut class, especially my senior year. You know, we did that quite a bit. Uh, yeah. You know, we had uh, unbeknownst to a lot of people, we had more than one senior skip day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. Oh, shoot. That's great. So we we graduate high school at any time during your senior year occur to you that maybe you're doing this more frequently maybe this is getting out of control or what were your thoughts during that time no it didn't really occur to me that it was like getting out of control then because you know there were other people that were doing the exact same thing and and it was still fun at that time oh that's a big statement you just made it was still fun at that time yeah yeah I mean, I was yeah. still having fun then. It wasn't causing a lot of issues in my life. And yeah. and going back really, really quickly to like the, sure. the teenage years and trauma and stuff like that, the, the worst trauma I had growing up was probably, uh, you know, when I was 12, I wrecked my four-wheeler and broke my arm, my collarbone and fractured my skull. 
Yeah. Uh, and when I was 15, I got shot. And, you know, that that's about the, now the let's extent. Talk, how did you get shot? Remember that. So it was, um, it was a guy that was dating uh, my older cousin, who was also a friend of mine, you know, that I had become friends with. Yeah. And we were, uh, we were shooting his gun and, he had shot it and then turned around toward me and was, was putting another shell in it. It was a pump, uh, 22. Oh, he was yeah. putting another shell in it. And for whatever reason it discharged and he shot yeah. me in the leg. Yeah. Uh, it was still really scary, but even I, though I mean, it was an yeah, accident. For sure. Absolutely. An accident. And for especially scary. at 15, I, that was, uh, that's kind yeah. of freaky. But. It would be, especially when you're still around people that hunt and use guns regularly you know, which is the entire county almost. That's yeah. pretty wild. Yeah. I mean, you know, our home had all kinds of guns in it all the time. Yeah. And I, I shot them all the time and, and hunted mm -hmm. with them. That's right. Okay. So you go right at that time. I think that's a pretty powerful when you said it was still that time because that continue to talk. I think you'll share. Yeah. It gets not it's, so fun. It's not fun. I'm really <laughs> glad you made that statement that to put it. Okay, go right ahead, sir. So by the time uh, my senior year rolled around, uh, you know, I was dating a girl at that time that was a year older than me. And, and my senior year, she had went off to college, uh, you know, and, and I traveled up there a few times during my senior year, yeah. like on the weekend and, and hung out with her up there. Uh, and of course, it's a college. So, you know, even though I was still in high school, I, I did what college kids did and, and you know. Uh, became a part of their parties also. Was it a different um, level than what you were experiencing in high school parties? Not not too much. Mm -hmm. It was about the same. Uh -huh. um, you know, and, and, and also, because during high school, I also started experimenting with uh, pills and methamphetamines, uh, as well as, especially by my senior year, you know, uh, all of those had become uh, uh, things that I would do from time to time. Yeah. Um, How did you so, get access to the school? So I knew a lot of older people. Uh, you know, I had an older sister and, and uh, a lot of older people and had a couple older cousins, you know, and, and met people at parties and stuff like that, uh, you know, because I made friends really easily. You did. That is correct. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm just trying to point out some of these areas of parent and other parents listening. Sometimes we think, oh, that's not around here. My kids don't have access to that. They don't know anyone that does that. Well, this was back in 1994, and it was here then. So it's probably Absolutely. here more <laughs> now. For sure. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you shared that. It is accessible to people here and now, for sure, even at school age and younger okay so as you so, started to progress with these the usage of different subjects tell me about that please so by by the time the end of my senior year got here i couldn't wait to get out of cowan and out of webster county uh you know simply because i thought you know there's not really anything here for me mm -hmm. uh at that time i didn't want to work in the coal mines or anything like that uh, you know, I, I at some point wanted to go to college, but my plan was was to take a year off work and save some money, you know, and then enroll in college the, the next year, which which did happen. But there was some bumps in the road between then. Uh, so 
when I graduated high school, I moved to North Carolina, which is where my sister and my cousin were, were living at the time, you know, because they were both like two and a half years older than me. Yeah. So the sister that was using at the time or no? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. This is my older sister that was also using at the time. Okay. Um, so I moved down there and, and that's where I got, uh, that's where I got introduced to heroin for the first time through some other friends because you know I, I was doing pain pills uh and they were like hey if you think those feel good try this you know and i'm like oh something that feels better than this yeah i i think i need that as you discovered heroin were you still drinking alcohol using weed the pain pills and then now yeah that's been entered so you were still yes yeah. really being addicted that i got or yeah. that i realized yeah uh, you know, I, I overdosed three times on heroin while I was down there. Uh, you know, they, they didn't have Narcan at the time. You know, yeah. uh, they they actually do do it just like they do in the movie Pulp Fiction. They stab you in the heart with a, a needle of adrenaline or epinephrine. That's what they did at uh, the time for you when you OD'd? Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, and after that happened three times, I was finally like, okay, so so maybe I'm I'm doing way too much of this. And maybe this is too much for me. So I need to look at, at, at some way to stop doing this, you know, but I, by that time I was already like physically addicted to it. Yeah. And the withdrawal symptoms were horrible when I tried to stop on my own. Yeah. So I, I got into through some friends, I got into this outpatient methadone clinic down there where I would go every morning before I went to work, uh, get my dose, go on to work, work, and then uh, they required you to go to uh, like three times a week. I would go to a meeting uh, and that's where I got introduced to Narcotics Anonymous was through that because those, those were the meetings that I, I picked because my, my issue just wasn't with alcohol. Uh, you know, went to a few AA meetings too, to, to kind of check those out. But, and, and that, uh, that worked to, to keep me away from the heroin. And, and I actually, uh, was able to stay clean for a few months uh, after that, you know, and then uh, during during the time, like after we graduated, you took a year off, you moved to North Carolina. During that time, were you working or, or were you doing anything to feed your habit or like, can we have kind of a behind the scenes that year for you? Yeah, I was working every day. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I worked at a I worked at a place that uh, produced uh, the compressors for air conditioners and refrigerators. Wow. The little uh, compressors that uh, cool your refrigerator and your air conditioner. Yeah, uh, so, I worked for a place that that produced those down there. So you were able to maintain a job, still continue in your addiction yes. at that time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Is and that. And that, that that trend continued for a while until I wasn't able to maintain a job. But <laughs> Is that like we hear a functioning addict? Is that where we would put that title? Yes. So interesting. So while well, that year that you were working or, or two years or however long, is that when you had the, the overdoses too? Yes. Man, yeah. Uh, to me. Fortunately, fortunately those all happened after work yeah. in the evening hours and, and other people were around to call and get help. Yeah. But you were able to like bounce back from off. I'm not sure, but and then return to work. That's to me. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Wow. 
Is there um, a limit? Now, do they use that type of resuscitation now, or do you know? Or do they just no, use the Narcan? No, okay. they use Narcan now. Okay. Okay. Well, I that each time you were resuscitated and you're back here speaking with us now, I do want to say that for sure. <laughs> me too. I do, which I told you that when we <laughs> talked before. And you know me, I'm a big old sap, so I may cry. It's just... um. Just knowing you, Preston, like when we, we'll get into here, it just part of me, like, look, I'm getting teary-eyed now, is so sad thinking of you going through that because you were such a good, you know, you were friend. we were friends and you were with, and I just, uh, I'm just very grateful that you're here talking to us today. I'm not the only one either. There's well, no I'm, uh, that's for sure. I'm just, <laughs> I, I'm grateful to be alive today. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So we are, you're still in North Carolina. You are, you've started in NA. You've tried out some, you're doing an outpatient treatment program Share with us. What the next year or few years look like. So, uh, I stayed down there for a few more months, uh, and right right before I I moved back to West Virginia because the the that I was only down there for a year, and that following year, um, during that time I had reconnected with my girlfriend that was in college, and my parents had moved due to dad's job had moved down to just outside of Huntington. Oh, okay. So you were closer to her. Okay. So. Yeah you know, she and I reconnected and she's like, Hey, I'm, I'm getting ready to to start school at Marshall. I'm transferring down there. And I was like, well, what a coincidence. I'm uh, getting ready to move back to that area. By that time I had started smoking weed again and drinking a little bit again, because I thought that that was, uh, that would be manageable, you know, and the drinking was mainly on the weekends still at that time. Yeah, I had finished out the clinic because it was a it, it was only a twenty eight day. Okay. Uh, they, back then they did like a twenty eight day taper. Okay. So they would they would cut your dose in half each week, and after a month, you were finished, and then you continued seeing your therapist and continued going to meetings if you so chose to. Okay, gotcha. And, and move back in with them with the plans to enroll in Marshall, which I did. You know, me and me and this girl started dating again. Uh, we ended up getting our own place there in Huntington, you know, not not too terribly far from the school, you know, ended up getting engaged, you know, and uh, still using like LSD and mushrooms, you know, was using cocaine again intermittently, not very much, uh, but a little bit. Did anyone notice, <laughs> um, did she notice or your family or anyone at that time? Uh, the girl I was with at the time would would smoke some weed. Also, once in a while, you know, as far as anything else goes, she didn't uh, she didn't do anything else. Yeah, we would go out and drink on the weekend. And, and I made some connections uh, while I was down there and through some other people that I had. So you made some connections while you were there living with your girlfriend, going to school. You guys would drink some on the weekend and you made some connections with other people. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So I, I decided that, that when we would come home on the weekends, I would bring some extra drugs with me and, and you know, sell them to my friends while we were up here. Oh, uh, okay. So now you're not only using, but you're starting to deal. Is that correct? Well, yeah, because it costs money to use. Oh, that's and true. And I'm also, 
That's right. I'm also renting, uh, you know, we're also renting a place, mm-hmm. you know, so I have to have money and I like extra money. So that, that seemed like a, uh, an alternative, a good alternative because, you know, I thought who's going to think that a college kid is up here selling drugs. Nobody's going to think that I'm doing that. Right. And most of your was really in North Carolina. Is that accurate? So you really home using right so no one would have suspected you yeah right not many people back home knew that i used on a regular basis you know a few close friends that used with me did and a couple family members but outside of that most other people didn't didn't know because i was really good at hiding that for a long time yeah you're right you know i told you i didn't know yeah so i uh i did that for a little bit uh until my fiance at the time found out you know because i was spending all my time either getting high or finding ways to to get rid of drugs to to get more so we broke up when it come time to go back to school uh the following year i didn't re-enroll i just dropped out you know she went back to school uh, i stayed in cowan for a little bit anyway it wasn't just uh using on the weekends you know then by by this time it was uh you know i'm using every day to sort of run from the pain of that breakup. You know, I didn't realize exactly what it was at the time, but, right. you know, today I know uh, what that was. You know, I, I really got into using more and more heavily mm-hmm. to uh, to numb out that pain. Yeah. Um, was it, is there anything you weren't doing? I mean, would you just do anything that you could get your hand on? Or are you at that point yet? Pretty much. You know, there there wasn't really heroin in Cowan at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were still pain pills around. There were still methamphetamines, uh, still cocaine, uh, still weed, you know, drinking, of course. You know, those were the ones that I did on a regular basis. And, and that was, you know, meth has always been one of my drugs of choice. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And so that continued. And then, you know, through those connections, I continued to sell drugs. Uh, you know, and had had some jobs here and there, and we get bored with that because it was getting in the way of me getting high. I was twenty, about twenty five, twenty four, twenty five. Say during that time, Preston, like you said, you know, you were using, you were dealing, you a hit and miss, but your main priority was getting high. During that time, did you consider yourself a trustworthy person or were you breaking the law to feed your habit or hurting people close to you? Or does that come later in the addiction? I mean, I still thought I was trustworthy at that time. And I didn't think that I was really doing any harm in in selling drugs to my friends at that time. Okay, gotcha. Okay. We, But we both know at, at this point that that's, uh, that's very not true. But <laughs> Right. Yeah, looking at it from this lens now, that is untrue. That's right. But that's yes. a lot of people in that lifestyle now, you said they don't see the wrong in it by selling it to their friends or their friends. And they right. still consider themselves trustworthy, which, you know, in the eyes of relationships with or that care about them, they're not trustworthy. Yeah. So, so yeah, you're. You know, yeah. And that, that carried on until. Uh, finally, when I was, I think I was like 25 when, when all of that finally caught up with me and they, they sent me to prison for the first time. Hmm. Did you get busted here in Webster County? I'm sorry. Did you get, did you get busted here in Webster County? Yes, it was in Webster County. Yeah. 
uh, you know, ended up on the front page of the paper uh, because we ran from the law on a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so they, they sentenced me to prison uh, for some drug related charges and a, and a, a forged check. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to I went to prison. Uh, I, since it was my first time being in trouble, uh, my lawyer tried to get me some type of alternative sentencing, like uh, going to rehab or something like that, as opposed to prison. Uh, the judge wasn't on board with that. Yeah. Uh, he told he told everybody in the courtroom he was sending me to the best rehab the state had to offer, which was the Division of Corrections. Oh, so okay. he sentenced. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, that's not a place that's not a wor- place where you can get any type of substance abuse treatment. Right. By the way, when you when you got busted, I don't know as far as how long it takes for you to sober up and realize like there's consequences to this. Did you were you ashamed or embarrassed? Like, what were your your face was on the in you know on the front page of the paper? Oh, absolutely, guilt, shame, and embarrassment. Yeah. Uh, you know, because a, a lot of my family that wasn't real close to me didn't didn't even know that that things were that bad at that time. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you go to so, you go to jail and then prison. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, and you're there for how long? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. Yeah. Were you clean during that time, or no? Okay. Okay. No, because you can much. still. Okay. You can still you can still find drugs in prison. During the time you were in prison, were you thinking, "Man, I got and straightened up," or were you just focused on, "I, I got to get I my neck fixed, fixed"? I didn't really I didn't really think of it as I need to get some help. I, I thought of it more along the lines of I need to help myself. I, see. I, I never I didn't. It took me a long time before <laughs> I finally come to the conclusion that I needed help outside of me. You're dropping some bombs today, fire bombs. That's I needed. <laughs> yeah, say that again. I needed to help myself. Is that right? Yeah, uh, you know, I felt like I was intelligent enough, and and uh, you know, I, I was a grown man, so I should be able to help myself overcome this somehow. Yeah, didn't Do know how that was going to be. I mean, I know we'll we'll get people that are in recovery now, but do you see that with a lot of people at first when they? Are they dealing with that? I can do this myself, or I, you know, absolutely I can help myself. It's it's a little bit of of both, you know. It it, it stemmed directly from my ego. Oh, got it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I felt like uh, it was embarrassing to ask for help, and it, it made me weak to ask for help. Yeah. And, and that's that same thought that a lot of people have. It certainly is. I just spoke to some women this past weekend, and I said three of the hardest words to say is I need help, you know, that's right. And you're, yeah, that's right. So go to prison. You're out there still getting high. You think you can fix this yourself. Right. While I was in prison, uh, I, I met this girl, you know, we started writing, started calling her on the phone before I got out. You know, she started coming up to visit once in a while, you know, and, and we had decided that, that when I got out, we were going to date. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, that's what happened. I got out of prison. I started dating this girl. I, I had this epiphany one day that me marrying this girl and having some kids and working a job was the answer. That was, yeah, yeah, that was what was going to fix PJ. Yeah, you know, having some kids and having those responsibilities and and having a wife and uh, you know buying a home and all that stuff, which which I did. Yeah. 
uh, you know, we got we eventually got married, had a couple kids. Uh, she already had one, you know, so we have the the all American two and a half kids, and uh, <laughs> you know, bought a place in Craigsville. At that time, too, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. After I got out of prison, uh, I took some classes and went to started uh, went to work in the mines. Uh, in the coal mines. Yeah. And. Which was good um, money, probably good benefits, you know. Yes. You know, and, and after I got out of prison and we decided to get married and, and have kids, uh, I used intermittently while I was on parole. Uh, but, you know, I made the decision that I was going to stop using everything. And, and I did that for probably mm, close to two years. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, while, while we were having kids, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but after my youngest was born, got really stressful, three kids in the house, a wife, a job that's pretty demanding and, and physically, you know, like physically demanding. Yeah. Life stressors got, well, got a little you, heavy. And you still hadn't dealt with, really what the underlying started using right by no. this time? okay no i just i just thought i should i i could just stop and it would go away eventually you know i would stop wanting to get high mm-hmm. and, and that didn't happen uh you know during that two years uh i wanted to get high like every other day it was really really difficult but i wasn't going to meetings mm-hmm. uh no aa and a meetings anything like that i, I wasn't doing anything recovery wise other than and not getting high at that time. Right. Uh, like I said, that lasted for right around two years. You know, after that, I ended up relapsing. Well, I don't know if you would call it relapsing because I was never in recovery, but whatever, however you want to phrase that. Yeah. But I ended up returning to use and, and it, I kept it under control, you know, because I had gotten, uh, I'd gotten dinged up and hurt a couple of times in the mines. So the idea was, well, I can go get these pain meds from the doctor. They can't tell me that I can't have that in my system. Probably women too, but I've just been thinking of a lot of coal miners. That's opened the door. Yes. To their usage. You know, you ah. actually did get hurt. You can take this medicine. You've got a prescription for it, so you'll pass your drug test. And, and that went on for a while. You know, I'd stopped smoking weed because that's too hard. It stays in your system too long. Mm-hmm. I'd stopped smoking weed. So, you know, now it was drinking on the weekends, uh, you know, because I deserve that because I worked hard all week. You know, that's what my brain tells me. You know, I deserve to watch football with my friends on Saturday and Sunday and drink while we're watching football. And and not too long after I started getting prescriptions, you know, those started getting abused. You know, I wasn't taking them properly or, you know, and would end up buying more of the same kind off of other people that I knew that had them. So would you say at this spiral even more out? Yeah, uh, that spiral is starting once again. You know, that went on, and then I started intermittently using methamphetamines again. Hey, Preston, you uh, know, I've always wondered. I hear people say, like you said, meth was your drug of choice. I've heard people say that about different drugs. What makes it, is, and correct me in anything I say, please, because I want this podcast to also be educational, but your favorite drug, because of the type that you get from that particular drug or what makes yes. it a choice? 
Yeah, it's the particular high that you get. You know, it gave me tons of energy. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't have to sleep. I didn't. I didn't have to eat. Uh, right. You know, I still tried to eat. You know, even when when I was using it, that continued on until eventually I lost. So I get this other job, but it's kind of a traveling job. You know, the first one, the first couple jobs I went to were uh, in the southern part of the state. So I could go down there and work four or five days and get my hours in and come home on the weekend. The third job was uh, out in Colorado. Oh, wow. So you really could get away then. Yeah. But, you know, I was in a pinch. Nowhere else would hire me. So I was like, hey, I have to go out here and, and, and take this job. So I, I ended up driving out to Colorado with all my tools in my truck, yeah, all my clothes. Lo and behold, on the way out there, once I got into Colorado, I got a DUI while I was out there. Now, are you out there by yourself? Your family's still yes. here, your wife and kids? Okay. Yeah, they're still at, at home. Okay. Uh, and, and by that... Go ahead. Yeah, my wife fully knew because she, you know, she used to. And Both of you were in active addiction at the time, basically. Yes. After I went out there, I got that DUI and, and you know, she had just about had enough because I almost lost that job, too. Uh, luckily, my boss was like, hey, don't worry about it. We'll uh, I'm, I'm contacting a lawyer that's going to come talk to you and we'll we'll sort this out. You know, it's your first DUI, you know, worst case scenario, you they might give you a fine or something. Uh, my wife and I started having problems after that and then uh we ended up deciding that we needed to get divorced because it just wasn't working mm -hmm. so uh, before that job even ended uh, i decided you know i'm gonna i need to go ahead and quit this job and go back to west virginia and and take care of this so i moved back well i came back you know and by by that time you know, I'm not allowed in my own house. We're we're in the midst of a divorce, so the judge is like, "Yeah, you you need to find somewhere else to stay until this divorce is finalized, and we figure out what's going on." Yeah. Uh, with the you know the marital property and all that. Uh, and needless to say, my 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 drug use started to spiral once again. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, we got divorced in. 2012. And then after the divorce, my, my use spiraled again for a little while. Uh, and her use spiraled also uh, until she got to the point to where she wasn't sending the kids to school. And we had joint custody of the kids. So the school and, and CPS from Nicholas County called me because they're still out there going to school. Yeah. Yeah. They called me and they were like, hey, uh, you know, we need you to come and get these these kids. Yeah. Uh, because your your ex-wife is not sending them to school. And, and if you don't come and take custody of them, we're going to open a CPS case. Oh, wow. So I went and took custody of them. She agreed to it because she understood that she was having trouble. I managed to, to mitigate my use while I had custody of my kids for a while. Uh, up until... Uh, let's see, when was it? 2016, they sent me to prison. They come to my house with a warrant once again for selling drugs. Hey, Preston, did your kids know at the time what was going on, like with mommy and daddy, that both of them were doing something wrong? I mean, they, once you go into like specifics, but. Yeah, they knew a little bit, but not, not okay. the specifics. Yeah. You know, because they were a bit younger. Yeah. Uh, you know, they were, they were pretty young when their mom and I divorced. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they were, uh, 
let's see, that was in 2016. So how long ago was that? Seven years? Yeah. Yeah. So the oldest one would have been 10 and the youngest one would have been eight or yeah. No, they were already 11 and 9 when okay. I went to prison. Yeah. But sometimes you hear, I don't know if you hear this. I'm sure you do. I don't know why I said that. You hear it when you're working with people. Some say, oh, my kids, but the kids don't know. The kids may not know exactly what's wrong with mom and dad, but they know something. Right. Different, you know, your life is revolving around staying, getting and staying high. Like the kids know something. Yeah, they knew something was wrong, you know, yeah. and they knew they knew I would drink. Yeah. You know, which is legal by all rights, but right. uh, for individuals like me who suffer from the disease of addiction uh, and, and from a substance use disorder, uh, drinking is, is not an option either. Yeah, not the best choice. Yeah. Yeah. So, C so got in. Yeah. CPS got involved. You get a warrant. Yes. Yeah. Drugs. And you're going back to yep. prison. Wow. Yes. And and your kids are so, taken care of by family at that time. Uh, yeah, my parents uh, agreed to foster my kids. Yeah. Uh, then while I was in prison, uh, they decided to terminate my rights. Mm. So my parents ended up adopting my children. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I still used intermittently this time also when I was in prison. Yeah. Um. After two and a half years, I, I discharged my sentence and got out of prison. Um, I had been at a work release prior to, to getting out, so I was able to save some money and get an apartment in Parkersburg. Okay. Uh, yeah. and, and yet again, I had met another girl while I was in prison, and we were going to date when I got out of prison. Girl. <laughs> you, oh, I mean. <laughs> are, are you seeing a pattern here? <laughs> <laughs> But it's a very common pattern. I mean, it's you're not. Okay, so we have the pattern of the ladies, and you have an apartment now in Parkersburg yeah. after you've gotten out of prison. And how's that going to go for you? Uh, well, I can tell you right now that that does not turn out well. Uh, because I got out of prison on uh, Halloween Day. Oh, yes. So we decided yeah, we to dress up. Right. We decided to dress up that night and go to a Halloween party. Mm -hmm. uh, we did. And of course I drank and used, uh, well, we both did. Uh, and, and that sort of was the beginning of the end. Yeah. Uh, because in the, in the span of 45 days from the time I got out, you know, I didn't have no money to pay the rent. I couldn't pay any of the bills. Uh, you know, the girlfriend's mad and she's like, I, I can't live like this. I got to go. Yeah. You know, so she's leaving uh, and, and I'm about to be homeless. And I didn't know I didn't know what else to do. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, one morning, it's like eight o'clock in the morning. I, I'm sitting on my couch trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And, uh, you know, something just kind of this light bulb just kind of clicked on in my head because my, you know, my sister had been in recovery before and was back in recovery again yeah and, and and had been for a little bit and i'm like okay so i'm out of ideas as to how i can fix this 
or manage my use or, or control any of these situations. Yeah, uh, you know, beyond yourself, wasn't it? I mean, at this point, like, yeah, I, I'm like, yeah, I, I can't, myself or something. yeah, there's nothing else that I know to try to make it better. So I, I called her up and I'm like, listen, uh, you know, I've uh, uh, I fucked up again and I don't know what to do. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm I, I have no clue what to do, but I know I can't do this anymore. I can't, I'm tired. I'm, yeah. I just cannot do, I cannot live this kind of life any longer. Yeah, and I, want, I need somebody to help me. I want people to hear this is, it's not fun anymore. Here in high school, fun, maybe his junior year. It's not fun anymore. This addiction has robbed him of everything. Literally no, when every person and everything. When you're overdosing and losing your wife and, and, losing your home and, and losing everything you have. It's, it's no longer fun anymore. Right. right. Uh, you know, the fun was gone a long time ago. Yeah. You know, when you're continually going to prison, you know, th that, yeah, the fun was way over. Way over at that time. And so now you're in this apartment, you have, you got to go, you got to get out. You don't have a girlfriend. You don't have a job. You have no money. No driver's license, no car. When I tell people that I lost everything, that means everything. You know, the only thing I had was a, a bag of clothes that I had been able to buy while I was uh, in work release. So you're at rock bottom, basically. Again, yes. Again, yeah. <laughs> Once again. Yeah. I called my sister and she's like, okay, wait by the phone. Don't go anywhere. Don't do nothing stupid. I'll call you back. Uh, a few minutes later, she's like, okay, so I called these people and they're going to work on getting you into treatment and you're going to go. <laughs> I, I was like, sister. that's right. I was like, okay, I guess I don't know what else to do. I don't have any other options. Not too long after I talked to her, uh, those folks called me and did an interview over the phone. Uh, the folks from Jacob's Ladder called me, did an interview over the phone. And then, uh, after the interview, they all met in the office and talked about it, and they called me back, and they're like, okay, we're accepting you into our program. Do you have transportation? I was like, nope, don't have a license, don't have a car. All I have are my shoe brews. Wow. So they're like, okay, uh, we have a guy that does transportations for us, so we're going to – we need your address, and we're going to send him to come and get you and bring you to the facility. You know, so that's what happened. I, I went to, I went to treatment for six months yeah. at, at Jacob's Ladder in Aurora, West Virginia. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a wonderful program and it, uh, it really did save my life. Yeah. On your way there, Preston, while you were being transported, was your thought process like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get clean or was your thought process like, Oh my gosh, I don't want to do this. I just, what's going on. Like, tell me about the ride up there. But my, my thought process was kind of all over the place. My thought process yeah. was like, I, I need to do something different. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't know what that is. And, you know, I had never been to any kind of formal treatment before. So I'm like, uh, I don't know what I'm getting into here. And I've got to be here for six months after just being incarcerated for two and a half years. So my thought process was all over the place with that. I was like, I, I want to stop getting high and ruining my life. Yeah. But is this the answer? Yeah. Wow. So you arrive at Jacob's Ladder and tell me about that. 
uh, it was uh, those people showed me love from day one, like real unconditional love, Hmm. uh, which reminded me a lot of, of my parents. Yeah. You know, because my parents also always showed me unconditional love. They, they were tired of my shit for a long time. Yeah. I imagine. And we're like, you, you can't come around us like that. Yeah. But they never stopped. They had to pick up the pieces, you know, they're ready. Yeah. And they, they had to do that for both of my sisters also. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they loved you, but they had kids now that had to be their priority. Yeah. But, you know, those folks showed me that, that unconditional love that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'd never found, Mm -hmm. you know, like outside of my immediate family from, from other people. Or I had lost or ruined along the way. Yeah. Uh, or failed to see sometimes. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I stayed there the whole six months, completed that program, uh, went on to sober living here in Morgantown. Uh, I spent 18 months at Jacob's Ladder Sober Living, uh, going to Narcotics Anonymous meetings. Uh when I got to sober living, I got a sponsor, I got a home group, you know, I started going to meetings and I I started participating in, in acts of service inside and outside of narcotics anonymous, you know, helping other people because it's the the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, uh, while I was at sober living, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I was able to save some money to where I could, um, pay off my fine uh, for that DUI in Colorado, which was 10 years old at this point. Um, so we had to restart the whole court process. Luckily we were able to do it on video. Yeah. Uh, so I had to go through the court process with that again, pay my fine, uh, pay my reinstatement fees to the state. Uh, you know, I was able to buy a car and and get a, uh, an interlock, which is a blow and go put in my vehicle due to the DUI. I had to have that for nine months. Where uh, in your recovery did you discover, I guess, the underlying issue that led you into addiction or that uh, the addiction to get so intense? Uh, that, was, that was while I was at Jacob's Ladder. Okay. Uh, because those, those folks up there, you, you talk about, because it's a six-month program. So I talked about a lot of things that I'd never told another person. Yeah. Uh, did you know, you learn things about yourself, like that you didn't. Absolutely. Realize? Yeah. Uh, they taught me a lot about myself. Yeah. About these situations that I put myself in and, and how, you know, me not taking responsibility for my, my choices is causing me issues. Yeah. You know, when I, when I fail to accept personal responsibility for my life, it creates a lot of problems for me. Yeah. Uh, we talked about some of that, that like getting shot and, and some of the trauma that comes along with being in prison and being in fights and, and you know, all the, 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 the stabbings, whatever else go on there. Right. Did you know when you were in addiction or did you display recovery that part of it to be accepted or your need to be liked? I started taking a look at that while I was in treatment at Jacob's Ladder. That's one of the many things that that I took a look at was that, yeah. you know, cause I, we took a look at my life from a very young age 
when you realized about yourself that you had that like need to be liked or accepted does that sound yeah right okay. yeah like i said that that started i started looking at that while i was in jacob's ladder okay and have continued that and still continue that to this day through narcotics anonymous you know that's that's a big part of what what we do in working steps is looking at uh you know who we used to be and, and what's the driving factors behind uh, why we continue to use when it was ruining our lives. But what would you tell them at this point? Get help as soon as you can. Get help as soon as you can. Yeah. 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 Don't let it Absolutely. get yeah, ahead of you that much. I agree. Do you yeah. care to share and you don't have to go into to super deep places or anything of that nature, but just a broad idea of what some of the issues were going on with you that once you were going through treatment that you realized about yourself that contributed to the addiction. So uh, one of the things I realized is that uh, I've always had this disease that happened with the disease of addiction. And some of those thoughts, some of those thought processes that yeah. happened uh, were present long before then, like that need to be liked by everybody and that need to have all of the friends and, and that, that feeling of being different, even when I wasn't really that different. Yes. Uh, yeah. All of that stuff was there, you know, and, and, and in my younger years, it, it manifested in like bad behaviors. Oh yeah. I hadn't you know, thought of that. Yeah. Like, uh, like being defiant to my parents and, and, uh, you know, having to have things my way because the, yeah. the disease of addiction is a disease of self-centered obsession. Uh, it, it's, the, it's exactly the same as yeah. an addiction to drugs or alcohol. Yeah, that's right. It could be, I mean, pornography, like you said, sex, it could yeah. be food, the addiction of, would you even say like people pleasing or. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Self-centered obsession. You're on fire today, Preston. I appreciate it. <laughs> hey, I've, uh, I've learned these things the very hardest way possible. Yeah, that's right. You have. Boy, you have. <laughs> yeah. Right. So he did his six months of, recover of uh, treatment, excuse me, at Jacob's Ladder. There is a documentary called Recovery Board. Now, yes. it's before Preston entered the facility, but it is wonderful. Posted a couple times. I highly recommend listeners to watch that documentary. You will see the side that you really wouldn't see unless you're in treatment or are extremely close to someone that's been through treatment. And, and right. the yeah, I mean the struggle of alcohol of excuse me addiction. So I highly recommend that. So you did 18 months between Chip's Ladder and a sober living home, correct? No, two no. years. No. So, oh, so you did six months at Jacob's Ladder, then 18, 18 months, months at Sober Living. living. Yeah, yeah. Jacob's Ladder has a Sober Living here in Morgantown. And I was there for eight months simply because, uh, you know, I, I was at rock bottom and, and didn't yeah. have anything, uh, you know, other than the clothes that I had right. when I got the treatment. Um, but kudos to you for taking the time not rushing your recovery, putting the work in, you know, you had to kind of think about, do I want to go into sober living or, or maybe try to, and you said some people do go out into the workplace or back to their family or whatnot, but yeah, to you oh. for work because it's not an overnight fix. Is it? No, no. And for me, it was important because I've never done well 
uh, on my own when I get out of, of an institution, yeah. uh, you know, whether that be prison or, or wherever I'm at, uh, yeah. I don't, I never did well on my own. So I needed that time not only to accomplish the, the goals, like getting my driver's license back, getting a car and saving yes. money to rent my own place, but also to work, be around other people who are in recovery and, and work on me. You did not give up until you met those goals. No. C- correct. That. That's Good correct. For you. Good for you, Preston. If I was and, beside of you, hug you or give you a high five or something. <laughs> Good for you. And, easy work. I don't no. want listeners to think that easy. It's not easy. It's hard. It is hard work. But he is a voice of someone that's gotten through it and to the other side. Please, if you need help, get help. There are people that will help you, you know, get to the other side of this. Absolutely. Yeah. Reach out to me or, or somebody. I'll be happy to help in any way I can. Do you still participate in NA meetings? Absolutely. I thought you told me that. That's great. That's great. And so- yeah, I just went to uh, I just went to my home group last night with uh, one of the gentlemen, Ryan. He's in my home group that was in the documentary Recovery Boys. Did you tell him I was fan over him? I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> If I ever see you out with him, I'm getting a picture. You go ahead and warning. So <laughs> tell him if a friend comes running, that's that's me. You give him a warning. But um, talk to him because Ryan has been sober for a long time, hasn't he? Yes. So tell me about the importance of keeping up your, uh, who I want to say, treatment or staying involved in me. Help me fill in that word there. Recovery. Maintaining your recovery. <laughs> Maintaining your re- Yeah. So the steps in place for you to maintain your recovery is continuing to. So um, Narcotics Anonymous is a 12 step fellowship. You know, there there are 12 steps that we that we write on and then share with our sponsor and talk about uh, once we're done writing on them. And, and that work continues over and over. You work those same 12 steps yeah. over and over and over again. You know, I've seen the 12 steps. Are they this alcohol anonymous precedent? It's the same 12 steps. Yeah, they're they're really, really close. I've seen the alcohol anonymous twelve steps and I'm telling you, anybody could do benefit anybody in self growth and make life better. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Because that's like, you know, that's what that's what recovery is all about. It's it's about personal growth and, and, and working to become a little bit better person than I was yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So you've completed treatment, but you're still maintaining your rec- Yes. Tell me what you do professionally, please. I am the peer recovery program coordinator for WVU Medicine. Well, that's uh, I'm, yeah. I'm also uh, I'm also a state certified peer recovery support specialist. I love it. And I also uh, teach classes to teach other people how to become. You know, I teach the basic class that that everybody has to take who becomes a peer recovery support specialist. Um, That's wonderful. Uh, I also do Narcan trainings. Uh, yeah. I teach people how to use Narcan. You know, there, there's a whole lot that goes into the job that I do on a oh, daily I basis. Imagine. Yeah, I imagine so. You know, I someone I, when I post this, um, I will one if there's listening. If they get to Preston, get a hold of me, I will. At Preston for you and you know together we will try to get you help if you need help I believe, absolutely yeah I just believe where there is still lungs there is still hope 
and they're still on the other side and you are still loved enough to fight for yourself and let others help you along the way. So absolutely. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, that's what I do for a living is, mm-hmm. you know, I, I attempt to use my experience yeah. uh, with active addiction, as well as my experience with recovery to, to move people through uh, those stages of change sometimes might not even realize. That's awesome, Preston. So, I mean, you went from, I just want to recap slash pat you on the back. I mean, you went from nothing. You went from ODing. You went from having to be brought back to life, basically. Um, you heard with me, there was a time in your life where you, you know, have lived in a tent under a bridge in your car. Absolutely. You, you went from not liking the person that you see in the mirror every day to now. You have a successful, regular income. You are maintaining your recovery. You are in who you've been created to be. And I believe you have finally found a, the right fit for you as far as your fiance. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, we talked about your the issues with girls in the past. That was, have, a, was a yeah. never-ending story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you are now you get to wake up in the morning and you get to smile and enjoy life. And yeah. And the, the biggest thing is I, I, I get to, when I wake up in the morning, I get to look in the mirror and, and love the dude that I see today yeah. instead of, instead of hating that person and, and, and constantly asking myself, yo, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. Why can't you uh, get this? Why can't you get this right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm you know, so happy for you. You could try not to cry. I'm just, <laughs> And I've learned to I've learned to love myself in spite of all of my my flaws and character defects that that still pop up from time to time. I have learned to love myself in spite of your flaws and character defects time to time. I love that, Preston. Such a gem and such a blessing you are. Well, thank you. I am thrilled. You know, when I was um, I have a couple more questions. I'm gonna turn you loose. But when I was praying about this after we spoke previously. I thought, glad that I'm setting up a time to speak with you, and I'm not going to walk through your funeral. You know, I don't want a little card with your name on it. I I mean, I love life in your voice. I love hearing, I mean, when you start talking about recovery and working with people, I'm trying really hard not to cry. I can passion in your voice. You want to help other people. And, um, I just thank God that you have, you've put the work in and you've seen that you matter here. You have a purpose here and gosh, the lives that you are changing and touching, they matter. And so I just, uh, hats off to you, Preston. I mean, seriously, I'm super proud of you. Sure. And I am speaking for, well, you're not going to go ahead and speak for Amy, <laughs> Amy Cochran. I told you <laughs> her before. But there's other friends that I, I still talk to, and I was telling them that you agreed to be interviewed, and they are just as happy, Brandy and Trisha, and they are just as happy that you are doing well and on the other side of this as I am. So just know people are still cheering you on for sure. Well, that's awesome. I appreciate it very much. Uh, you know, that that uh, that means a lot. To, uh, to people who suffer from this disease is, is having people who support them, you know, even through their, their rough times and their mistakes uh, and their, their setbacks and their, their successes and their failures and, and, and everything in between. 
Yeah. You know, and that's uh, that's something that's really important to me. That's that's what really gives me the the passion for my job. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, you know, somebody there were people that that never gave up on me, and, and that helped me when I was at my worst. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and that uh, that's really one of the things that has given me. The, the drive to want to help other people uh, and, because I don't want them to have to experience the depths of, of pain that, that I've had to live through if, yeah. if that's avoidable at all. Uh, yeah. Sometimes it's not uh, because unfortunately uh, a lot of times people learn through pain mm-hmm. and, and they always say that, uh, you know, in, in, in recovery and in, in the different fellowships, they always say that, you know, you'll make a change when the pain gets great enough. Hmm. You'll make a change when the pain gets great enough. That's good stuff. You can apply that to anywhere, not just yes. drug and alcohol recovery, right? Yeah. yeah. Anything. Yeah. You know, yeah. if my behaviors uh, are, are causing problems and causing me pain in my life, you know, at some point when I'm like, okay, I've had enough of this. I got to, I'm going to start to make a change in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm writing that down. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Preston's class today, kids. I'm telling you <laughs> good stuff. So one and then I want you to feel free to share anything we didn't cover, any information you want to share. But um, so to the podcast, pretty hot. Like we didn't make a lot of small talk. I just hit your right with a question. And I explained why that I, I did that. And I want you now to tell people, Preston and I grew up in Upshur County. It's where our listeners are. Uh, yes. Resources are limited. I mean, I'm not saying that there's not any, but they are limited. Um, tell people what to do if they're in this county right now and their pain is now great enough that they can't continue like this. What do they do? So um, one of the best things that they can do is simply to reach out for help, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, most... Uh, most hospitals today are are aware enough and equipped enough to help people with substance use disorder find the treatment that they need. Yes. Uh, you know, they're they're equipped enough to help them find a mental health services that they need. Uh, because a lot of times mental health and, and the disease of addiction go hand in hand. Absolutely, yes. Um, you know, there there are also places uh, like in Webster County like Seneca. Yeah, uh, there are places close by, you know, they, they can go to the, the hospital either at Webster or Somersville. Uh, there's now a treatment facility, a 28 day treatment facility right there in Somersville. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so there, there are resources. There are getting to be more resources closer to Webster County. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can reach out to the DHHR. And, and they can help you find resources to get mm-hmm. into treatment. Uh, there's a, also a number that you can call. Uh, it's uh, Help for West Virginia. Yeah. 
It's help uh, for West Virginia. Just what he said. H E L P. Right. It's yeah. It's okay. one. Uh, I'm trying to find. That's okay. I'll post I thought it I had it written down. I'll add it to it. That's okay. Help for West Virginia. Yeah. Yes, and uh, they, they can, can provide you. They can provide you with a list of treatment resources statewide, uh, mental health or substance abuse or both. Uh, you know, that's that's ran through the uh, I believe that's ran through the DHHR in Charleston. Mm -hmm. And uh, for people um, that now Jacob's Ladder is not covered under. K like Jacob's Ladder and other recovery or treatment centers, people can donate to as well. If treatment centers that don't accept insurance, correct? No, Jacob's Ladder accepts insurance. They accept <laughs> private insurance, okay. uh, you know, commercial insurance, private okay. pay, and, and they still do accept uh, Medicaid from time to time also. From time it's, to time. On, okay. it's on a case by case basis simply because uh, their their funding is limited. Okay. Okay. Uh, they don't get any federal grant funding or anything like that okay. for their treatment facility. It's all self sustaining. Okay. Okay. <laughs> if you if someone wants to donate or make a contribution, they can reach out to those facilities and set that up with them, right? Yeah, they can go to jacobsladderbrookside.com. Yeah. And it has a tab on there to where you can donate. You can read all about the facility, what services they offer. Great. Great. Uh, and, and there are treatment facilities statewide and, and countrywide yeah. that are there to help people who need yeah. it. You know, and, and if you can't, if you don't, if you can't make it to the DHHR, if you can't make it to somewhere, uh, you know, if you don't have access to a phone, something like that, reach out to somebody that is in recovery and say, hey, can, yes. can you guide me somewhere? Yes. Yeah, that's right. I know here, I, I know that there's some peer recovery coaches here. I do not know all of them by names. I'm going to get those. Though. I know a man Rex Road from Cowan is one and Tiffany yep. Hall. They can yep. help you and um, they can get you in also in you know connected to treatment as well yeah yeah and uh you know you can reach out to me no matter where you're at and i and yeah. i can connect you with treatment in that area yeah that's awesome well president is there anything else you didn't mention that you want to mention the floor is yours uh you know i, I just want to say for for people out there who who are struggling and, and who think that there is no hope that there definitely is still hope and that recovery is real and recovery is possible. I second that. Amen. Yes. Uh, you know, if uh, I, I'm of the opinion that if I can do it, anybody can. Yeah. There you go. That's right. And do you ever still struggle with shame? Does that sneak up on is that part of why you continue to maintain your recovery through NA? Yeah, that guilt and shame still pops up from time to time. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's part of those those character defects that I talked about. Uh, you know, those those are are part of it. Is uh, you know that that self loathing uh, is one of those character defects because that's where my guilt and shame lives is is inside that inside my ego. Yeah. 
uh, just on the opposite end from, you know, because for a long time I was either the best person that ever existed or I was the worst person that ever existed. There was no in between. Yeah. You know, today yeah. I've found that, that in between where I'm, I'm neither the best nor the worst. I, I'm just another guy trying to do the best I can with the life that I've been given. Yeah. What you said. What's what that? Um, what did you say previously about uh, to be better yesterday or what was the. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's what I strive for in recovery is I, I work to be a better person today than I was yesterday. Listen, get that on a I am wearing it. I'll... <laughs> yes. You absolutely been a delight, Preston. I mean, you just don't know how much this has made my day. You really... Well, thank um, you. It's It's been an honor. I'm just tickled, tickled pink. So, I will let you go. What the listeners don't know is I've all day. We've had some technical difficulties and <laughs> he does have a family that would probably like to have his attention for a little while. Yeah. I've got a, a gymnastics. Uh, the little <laughs> one has gymnastics here just shortly. Yeah. It's their final performance of the year. So. I love it. See, isn't it fun? You get to do that now, you know, absolutely. I mean, that, those are the, that some people take, but you probably enjoy every minute of it and I love that. I love it. Yeah. Yes, I do. All right, Mr. Preston, thank you so much. Um yeah, again, I just want to reiterate if anyone needs help or if you just if you're maintaining your recovery and you need a cheer, you can reach out to me and I will cheer you on and contact person on how to do so. So um, right. just know that you are worth fighting for. So thank you, Preston. We will um, hopefully right. talk again soon. All right. Thank you All very right. much. Thanks. Thank you for joining us today. Please remember, folks, we are all in this thing called life together. We may be in different parts of our story, but maybe, just maybe, by hearing from others, we will be reminded we aren't alone. If you are enjoying this podcast, please give it a follow and please feel free to leave a five-star review wherever you listen to it. This helps others find the podcast and it sure makes my heart happy. You can also find me on YouTube at Maxetta Gad with new episodes each Wednesday. Let's do it again next week. <laughs>